Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Imagine being 20 years old, fresh out of college with a computer science degree, and coming to the United States with an engineering job at Microsoft. Fast forward 20 years and having led product and engineering teams at companies like Microsoft, Code.org, Zulily, and Amparity, and now a successful co-founder and CEO. Well, this is the story of Mona Akmal, the CEO and co-founder of Falcon, the revenue analytics engine that is empowering teams to enable daily data-driven decisions. Mona shares her backstory and journey with us in this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast. Mona also shares the right way to leverage AI and machine learning to approach data hygiene and to make data actionable. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. So please take a listen and make sure to grab a notebook. You'll want to capture these great insights and advice. So super excited to be here today with Mona Akmal, CEO and co-founder of Falcon. Falcon Falcon.ai is the revenue analytics engine that is creating a way to combine machine learning and human intuition to empower professionals to define, understand, and improve metrics that really matter. So welcome, Mona, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited uh, to learn more about your journey and what you're building. Thank you so much, Rosalind. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, I mean, you have you have had just an amazing career, just amazing career journey leading product and engineering, you know, at companies like Microsoft. I know you're at Code.org, Zulily, Amperty, you know, all these wonder, all these amazing companies before becoming a founder. Mm -hmm. Um, And so before we maybe jump into what you're doing today, um, can you tell us more about you, your backstory, and maybe some of that journey that led led you to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think that, you know, uh, my career background looks a little all over the place. I've done consumer, I've done B2B, I've I worked in very big corporate environments, also, uh, you know, teeny oh, tiny yeah. little startups, for-profits, non-profits. <laughs> and uh, I would say the the common theme that connects all of these is for as long as I can remember, you know, I was that kid who had planned out my entire summer vacation uh, three months before it happened. <laughs> and it was full of activities. Um, I still have mm-hmm. a lot of hobbies. Um, the, the common theme <laughs> in my personal life and in my professional life is 
I'm predominantly motivated by learning, curiosity, and getting better every day. Um, it doesn't matter what I'm getting better at. It could be, you know, the ability to uh, bench press more than I've done before, or it could be going on a hard hike, or it could be solving a really hard technical problem, or um, uh, managing a very uh, senior person that I've never managed before. So all of those are avenues <laughs> for growth and pursuit of excellence. And uh, I think that ultimately defines the choices that I've made in my life. Um, and yeah, as far as how I got here, started as an engineer at age 20 in Microsoft, got hired right out of undergrad from Pakistan. Um, and, uh, you know, just continued to lean into my professional life. I get a lot of joy out of work. Um, and uh, here we are. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Hired right out of college. 20 years old. It's so young. A lot of folks are still in college. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to figure out what they want to do. And you were already building things at Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, I was in a mad rush to leave work uh, leave school <laughs> and start work. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, when a business gets started, right, it usually starts, you know, could be a problem that someone's trying to solve, um, mm -hmm. you know, or there's some type of, you know, just kind of aha type of moment. You know, mm -hmm. how did the idea for Falcon develop? And, you know, what was your vision when you first started out? Yeah. So, you know, there's a larger theme here, which is, I think one of the biggest rackets out there right now is the modern data stack. We are all collecting a stupid amount of data. But when you think about a business user's interaction with data on a daily basis, it's predominantly reporting, um, which is not really actionability. It's more about looking in the rear view mirror and seeing what happened, right? Uh, and so right. I've always found that incredibly frustrating that we collect so much data, and yet we don't do a lot with it. Specifically with right. Falcon, though, my my um, aha moment was I had transitioned from working in consumer tech products, which are incredibly data-driven, because, you know, when you have 100 million customers, you're not reaching out to them by calling them up and, and, and so on, right? Um, right? You have to do things through data, and you have to do them through automation, when I switched into B2B at Imperity, uh, it was a bit of a culture shock for me because, um, <laughs> you know, as the head of product, I would sit in meetings with sales and marketing and see the disparity in how we were using data. Uh, sales, uh, predominantly, like I said, sales and marketing, looking at three to five metrics, top and forecast, mm -hmm. which we Forecasting is interesting, but forecasting doesn't actually help you hit the numbers that you want. It's mostly telling you whether you're going to or not. And mm -hmm. so I care about data being used for daily decision making and operational rigor. And right. uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, there was also an interesting trend emerging in the B2B world, which was um, consumerization of B2B applications, how uh, businesses are selling to other businesses product-led growth has become a very real motion. Uh, hybrid product-led growth sales motions have also become the norm. And that creates an interesting opportunity for a person like me because I've lived in both environments and I understand the pros and cons of both. So mm -hmm. I was very excited to bring a 
consumer analytics, data-driven um, perspective to uh, the revenue function within uh, B2B businesses. Uh, because my belief is if you can uh, combine revenue sales, marketing, and product data uh, and mm-hmm. start to mine it for insights that drive daily behavior, not just board decks, mm-hmm. uh, repeatable revenue uh, and collaboration across the three teams becomes possible, right? That was the big thing to go after. Yeah, you raise a number of really great points there. And one of the things that, you know, really resonates with me is around, you know, we all want more data. We all think we need more data, right? We collect all of this data, but what the real question is, what are you doing with the data, right? Mm-hmm. How are you using the data to drive decisions, but also actionable? And as you said, daily, not just looking at it over, you know, over time or monthly or at the end of the quarter, but mm-hmm. understanding what's happening in your business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really powerful. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of speaking about data and you talk about, you know, AI, right? If you think about AI, everyone's talking about AI, right? It's kind of used yeah. everywhere these days. And sometimes it almost seems like it's used more as a buzzword, right? More than anything else. So when you think about AI, you know, what does AI mean to you and how do you approach that at Falcon? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think uh, AI needs to be demystified. Um, uh, Having built machine learning applications uh, pretty much starting about 12 years ago, I can tell you AI is phenomenal at automating things humans already know how to do. Uh, and doing them fast mm-hmm. and at scale. AI is not good at telling you insights that you couldn't possibly have gotten yourself. And, um, and you know, to me, this is actually one of the ways I qualify customers is if they think AI is this magical thing that is going to give them the answer, <laughs> AI is not the oracle, right? It's just a way to automate right. things that a person already knows how to do. Uh, then you can start to apply AI and have reasonable expectations of where AI can be helpful uh, to an organization. And so practically speaking, how we use AI in Falcon is exactly that. So uh, a few examples. One, um, we do attribution based on um, artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms, specifically Markov chain-based approach. A human analyst can do this every single day. The fundamental premise being, uh, you know, if a if a prospect interacted with five different channels, how do you assign credit to them, right? And we all do the dumb version, which is first touch gets twenty five percent of the credit, last touch, <laughs> blah blah blah, right? Where did that twenty? 25- yeah, that's right. <laughs> that twenty five percent is just mm-hmm. guesswork. It's not data driven, right? a good analyst Mm -hmm. uh, can actually go and put in the right weights every day based on the channel's track record of success as opposed to its position in a customer's journey. Um, If they did that every day manually, it would probably take them 12 hours of work to get ready for the next day and rinse and repeat, right? So it's just not scalable by a human being. What does Falcon do? We turn that into a Markov model and we basically do the exact process that I've described, but with machine learning, it's automated. Mm -hmm. So every channel has a dynamic weight that is assigned and refreshed automatically. 
based on its track record of success. So you end up getting significantly more accurate attribution than you would if you just did a rule-based approach. So that's one example of how we use um, AI in Falcon. Um, I'll give you one more example, which is, you know, if, especially in product-led growth companies, if you have, let's say, a million um, uh, users that are on your lowest tier that can be free or it can be a minimally paid SKU, mm-hmm. how do you figure out from those million users which 5,000 are real product qualified leads? Again, you could have, you know, 10 analysts do ad hoc analysis and tell you, okay, this is the list of these users based on certain usage markers and whatnot. But doing that every single day programmatically and sending those product qualified leads to Marketo or HubSpot and ideally putting them in automated sequences, that's what AI can do, right? Um, right. That's another way in which we use machine learning and AI in Falcon is finding product qualified leads that are accurate and automatically delivered from start to finish. Got it. Got it. That's a great way to describe it. It helps. I think it really frames up the understanding of what AI is and what it isn't, right? And how best to leverage it and how to think about it. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about data, right? Because having the right data and the right insights at the right time is always so critical, right? It's sort of the, the North Star. Everybody wants to get there. But it's yeah. certainly not, you know, it's not easy, right, to have accurate, comprehensive real-time data available yes. to the right people and keep it clean, right? At a point in time, yes, it's great. And then the next you know, minute later, it's changing. Mm-hmm. But Falcon helps with this um, revenue analytics engine, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I was looking at you know, more about your business and on your website, and you talk about you know, your playbook for revenue growth is hiding in your data. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, can, you, can you share maybe more about this and maybe help our listeners understand why this is just so key, right, to everything that we all want, right, which is that really that growing more revenue and growing more revenue faster? Yep, absolutely. Um, so I would say there are two distinct things here to consider. One is on data hygiene, right, mm-hmm. uh, which I tend to take the same approach to data that I do to my closet, which is if it has not been <laughs> worn or used in six months, get rid of it. And it means, oh, I love that. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, this is where you start to realize people's real relationship with data. They don't collect data to use it. They, they collect data almost as an insurance policy to hoard it, right? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So to me, first of all, if you want good data hygiene, you have to challenge your mindset and get away from hoarding and move into usage, right? If you're not using it, and I often ask people because we often get this objection, hey, you say that, you know, uh, our playbook for success is hiding in our data, but what if our data is so messy that it isn't? And then my answer back is, great, then go ahead and delete it. If you don't think it is useful enough to use, then why can't you get rid of it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that really drives a, uh, the point I'm trying to make is data will always be messy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't use it, you are in this uh, chicken and egg cycle, which will never break because when you don't use it, it's going to stay messy. When you start using it and it's a mess, everyone has an incentive to uh, fix it. As an example, mm-hmm. Seekout is one of our customers. And, you know, when we first started talking to them, 
they loved this uh, automated report that we send, which is uh, whenever we see opportunities that are not being worked and are really low in the funnel, it clearly signals a data hygiene issue. It's just a stale opportunity. It's practically dead. Um, no one's working on mm-hmm. it. And it says it's in procurement. What the hell? Of course, it's not in procurement. Right. <laughs> um, right. But- <laughs> If a manager's job is to go figure all this out and then nag people, we all know it's not going to happen. It'll be like a one-time data cleaning project and then and then it'll be back to the same mess. But if you have a system like right. Falcon, which is nagging you and saying, hey, AE, you have seven opportunities that are super low in the funnel and they've seen no activity in the last, uh, you know, 30 days or 15 days. Um it's an up or out thing, right? Like either close, right. close it up so that you actually get a more accurate representation of what's happening in your pipeline or do something about it. Mm-hmm. So my point being, data is and will always be messy. There is no such thing as absolutely accurate. Um, if you can mm-hmm. create automated workflows where you shine a light on where the mess in the data is, and go right to the people that are empowered to fix it in an automated way mm-hmm. on a regular basis, hygiene goes up dramatically uh, and quickly, right? Um, the second mm-hmm. question you asked, which is the, you know, the playbook for success is hiding in, in your data. I'll give you an example. One of the reports that we automatically publish uh, to our customers is a data-driven deal breakdown. Um, so, you know, any customer, when they win a very large account, everyone wants to know how did we penetrate this account and how did we win it? Like we want to figure that out so that we can rinse and repeat as much as possible. You can read all the blog posts out there, uh, that'll tell you the ideal touch frequency is blah. And the ideal response rate is blah. None of that actually works. In our experience, businesses have so much variance in uh, who they're selling to, how long their deal cycle is going to be, what the best way to reach out to prospects is, and so on, that instead Mm -hmm. of looking for insights in third-party data and general wisdom, if you start to do things like Let's do a data-driven deal breakdown for every deal above a certain price point that we win and every deal above a certain price point that we lose. You just have to do three of these to start seeing what the patterns are. And the patterns actually are pretty obvious when you do it, right? Um, That's just one example of uh, success hiding in your data. I love that. I like the shining the light piece of that. I think um, it's it's hiding there, right? It is there, but you just need to be able to um, focus in on the right pieces of the data, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what actually matters. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the challenges that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being, let's maybe shift gears a tiny bit, you know, mm-hmm. being someone with just I mean, incredible background in product, right? Mm-hmm. You probably have a very unique perspective on product differentiation, you know, mm-hmm. in your own platform. And I think you've talked, touched on it a little bit already in some of your examples, but how has this, you know, product differentiation really come into play in mm-hmm. helping to drive, you know, revenue, growth and retention at, specifically at Falcon? Yeah. So, <clears throat> 
I'll give you a little bit of a background on our team. Uh, we are predominantly engineers and scientists, uh, which basically means we are compelled to build things in a very generalizable and flexible way, uh, sometimes to a, a mm-hmm. fault, honestly. Um, but what that's <laughs> created for us is differentiation in that we can reason over any data, right? So um, Falcon is not a tool just for sales teams. It is not a tool just for marketing teams. It is not a tool just for customer success teams or sales development teams. It's a tool for all these teams because for us, right. bringing in Salesforce data is actually as easy as bringing in Amplitude or Mixed Panel or Pendo data to get product usage signals out of the data, right? Um, so often what we see is um, with... A lot of our competitors, they are very focused on one organization within the revenue team. Uh, We take a contrarian view there, which is in order for companies to hit their revenue goals, they increasingly need to have sales, marketing and product work off of the same data and the same single source of truth. Salesforce is a wonderful data store for that uh, because they have so many integrations, but Salesforce is not a great tool for insight generation and reporting. It wasn't built for that. So Mm -hmm. if all these teams have one unified layer that is reasoning over all the data and finding you your most important opportunities, your most important tasks based on what your data is telling you, Across marketing, sales, and product, you end up with a collaborative organization that's going to win together. I think that's one of our key differentiators. Uh, and, you know, I've been right. given grief by our investors over the years that, you know, <laughs> you to pick one, just focus on one. But my mission <laughs> is I want these three teams to function like, you know, three fingers on a hand, not separate. And um, a little bit of consolidation actually goes a very long way to bring these teams together. And then the second thing I, I would say is, again, given our background, we care a lot about putting the insight where the user is, as opposed to insisting that they have to log into Falcon. So for instance, a lot of our reports and insights, we don't want you to come into the Falcon UI at all. Like, a salesperson should not be spending their time learning Falcon. They should be spending their time going chasing revenue. We bring the insight to them. Right. So email, Slack uh, is very important for us. And writing data back to Outreach, to Gong, to Marketo, to HubSpot, to Salesforce um, is really important. So that's, I think, another way in which we uh, we differentiate. Yeah, yeah, I love that kind of meeting the user where they are because, mm-hmm. you know, to your point, that not only the the value aspect of it, but also just adoption and usability, right? Yes. The user experience. Completely. Great, thank you. Um, so, you know, you have a chance to work with a number of different companies. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you seeing um, in terms of organizations, you know, doing right and maybe some of those things that they're, you know, doing wrong as well mm-hmm. when it comes to data and analytics? Yeah. So I think uh, a few things that I'm very happy about and I see our customers doing this, though I, I have to say maybe there is a selection bias here, right? Uh, which <laughs> is... I love how data-driven a lot of sales development leaders are. And uh, they are not just looking at results. They're also looking at efficiency of their teams. And uh, so that 
I think is wonderful. I would love to see sales leaders pushing for data-driven one-on-ones more. Uh, we see less of that with account executives. Um, so I guess the things I see going well are sales development becoming a lot more data-driven and sales development managers really focusing on data-driven coaching. Uh, with account executives, I think there is room to improve. Um, mm-hmm. In other, uh, a few other things, I I am very happy that there are now good standards for how people implement Salesforce and they're not doing crazy things for the most part, right? Um, So that's that's great because there's so much that gets lit up when you try to stick within the frameworks that are innately supported in Salesforce versus when you decide you're going to build everything as custom objects. Uh, you're like in a world of pain down the line. So I think that's (laughs) wonderful. Um, I would say I'm seeing a lot more engagement across the aisle where marketing wants more visibility into what happens uh, to the leads and opportunities that they're creating after they've been created with the sales team. And I see the same thing happening back uh, where sales wants more visibility into what's happening top of funnel, what's happening within the marketing organization. Uh, That's a wonderful trend. Um, I still see more animosity there than than I'd like to see personally, like uh, a little bit less collaboration. uh, And that's often because they're working off of different data sets. So um, the marketing team is saying we've generated X high quality leads and the sales team has a completely different view. And data actually can help solve that he said he said or they said they said um, but, but I don't see that happening as much the last thing that I see I'm hopeful about but I think more needs to happen is all of us had this view that product-led growth was like this very specific thing which was you know you have a free product and it's a bottoms-up motion and so on and I think the um Generally, the, our customers' understanding of product-led growth is a lot more evolved than that, which is every company, regardless of whether you have a free plan or not, regardless of whether you have a bottoms-up motion or not, is a product-led company because a product-led company is a customer-led company, right? It's all mm-hmm. about customer centricity. Um, so I'm seeing that shift, um, but it remains very... Uh, manual and instinct driven, right? How people are identifying product qualified leads, how people are identifying expansion opportunities still seems predominantly human led, which doesn't scale. And so I I would love to see um, more automation and a higher level of maturity on product led growth uh, motions where it's about the right message at the right time to the right contact in the right account. And mm-hmm. that cannot happen manually. That has to be automated. Uh, so I'm right. excited about that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, okay, so let's um, let's shift gears a little bit again. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a female leader in tech, you know, in technology, especially, you know, a woman of color, I'm often asked questions about, you know, breaking barriers, being heard, right? And about accelerating career growth, you know, and I think for you as a C-level executive and a founder, you know, what mm-hmm. advice do you have maybe for other women who are looking to grow their career and sort of move up that, you know, proverbial 
corporate ladder? Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, I would say first and foremost, and this makes me very sad because so many of my peers, uh, that are women have, uh, chosen to bow out. It is a difficult journey. You just have to, first of all, I think you just have to accept, and it's very hard to accept what I'm about to say. As a (laughs) woman, you're going to have to be 10 times better than the average man to get the same opportunity. It just is, right? And step one to succeeding is accepting reality for what it is uh, and not how you want it to be, right? Um, So just accept that that's true. It's not fair. I wish it was different. But if you're going to continue to get disappointed by that and be surprised by that over and over and over again, you are spending more time uh, anxious and frustrated and less time making progress, right? So acceptance is very important. I just have to be 10 times better, period, right? The -hmm. next part of that is how can I be 10 times better? I have to be more invested in my success than anyone else. Nobody's opinion matters along the way other than mine. Just get up, put in the work, you know, even on my darkest days, I will will make a list and I will not stop until that list is done. And then I feel good that I can at least claim success for the day. And honestly, a successful career is not a thing. It's just a sequence of successful days, right? One day at a time, just every day. That's the, the, that's my mantra. I I live by it. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's actually, you know, incredible advice because I think people, you know, I can definitely see where people can get frustrated, right? With the path and then focus all of their energy there versus just accept it and move on. Let's, let's go ahead and move on and dig deep. I love that. Um, so, you know, as I think about, you know, really the revenue engine in this podcast, you know, I'm always Mm. hoping others will be able to take some tips and learn how to accelerate revenue growth, right. And power that revenue engine. Mm -hmm. So maybe from your perspective, you know, what are the top, you know, couple of things, maybe two or three things that you think all revenue leaders should really be thinking about today to drive Mm. revenue? Got it. Uh, yeah. So I would say a few things. One, Uh, if you're a revenue leader that believes that you can get away with looking at two dashboards a week, um, you're wrong. Challenge that. You need to know your numbers and look at your data every single day. That's super important. Right. Um, Second, do not mistake operational rigor for forecasting. They are very different things. Uh, Focus on how are you operationalizing your data every day such that every AE, every marketer, every sales development rep is having the best possible day every day. And every day counts, right? Um, I see these monthly business reviews and monthly retrospectives. If you look at your information once a month, you only have 12 opportunities to course correct in a year. If you look at your data every day, you have 365 opportunities to course correct, right? Um, So make every day count and operationalize your data for your AEs, your marketers, and your sales development reps to um, have the best possible, the most productive day they can have every single day. And then the third is 
your product usage data is a gem. It's the, like, it drives me insane how much money people pay for third-party data, which is wrong 60% of the time anyway, right? The real gems of what your customers love and will buy and will pay you money for is hiding in their usage of the product. Use that data to drive not just what are my expansion ops, what's my value prop? Who do I reach out to? You know, Mm -hmm. we all come up with these ICPs in uh, a vacuum. We talk to five customers and we figure out our ideal customer profile. Your ideal customer profile actually is in your most engaged users. Use that information um, to come up with everything from pricing to who you are targeting to how you are going to target them, what the appropriate outreach to them looks like. And lastly, Focus on automation. Uh, Wherever you are doing things manually that are done often, do them automatically because it drives a lot of efficiency, drives a culture of operational rigor and efficiency. Those would be my my, my wish list uh, for uh, revenue leaders to, to pay attention. That's great. That's great. Thank you. I think that's super helpful. Um, are there things that maybe, you know, as you look back on your career that you wish maybe you knew earlier or maybe that you might do differently if you could, you know, do it all over again? Yeah, I think my biggest sort of, uh, I wish I could go back in time and tell myself this is um, every person's path in life is, it, a, a successful life, first of all, is not necessarily a happy life, just to be clear. Um, and you have to figure out very early whether, uh, you want to live a, uh, happy life or you want to live a successful life. And by success, I don't necessarily mean professional or monetary success. Define what success means to you and then pursue that relentlessly. And second is, um, like I was saying, you know, accepting reality is the starting point of winning any game. Uh, you cannot play to win if you disagree with the rules of the game. Um, so you just have to really, really get, it's very hard to do in practice, get grounded in your reality. For instance, like I- applying this to data, right? Yes, your data is messy. Accept that reality. What are you going to do tomorrow about it? If you keep rejecting that reality and you keep wishing you were in a different place, guess what? The reality is not changing. And you're not making any progress. Um, So I guess that's what I would tell myself. uh, Accept reality and start building from that point on, you know? Yep. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me, um, Mona. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always love to ask two things. One, you know, what is that one thing about, about you that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is that one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Ah, interesting. So I would say one thing that people would probably be surprised by is that I'm very, um, I tend to be pretty serious and intense um, in conversations like this. Uh, uh, But, you know, I pretty much spend most of my time laughing and not taking things too seriously. Like I, there are very few things in life that I think are deal breakers one way or the other. 
It's just that I have such conviction when I speak about any topic that uh, that it it comes across as a lot more serious than maybe my my intention is. I've been told that as being surprising about me. Uh, and then, what is one thing that I would want people to know about me? Um, I think it's that um, uh, to me. At, Thinking analytically and thinking creatively um, are symbiotic. You know, I hear people saying I'm a creative. I don't understand what that means. Everyone's creative. Um, everyone's analytical. And these are like different muscles that that help you solve problems. So the thing I would like people to know about me is I think my superpower is to be able to creatively think about a space and apply a very analytical perspective to it to try and solve the problem in the most elegant way possible, whether that's, uh, you know, um, what is the best way to do attribution? What is the best way to make an AE productive? Or uh, what's the best way to grow potatoes this summer, right? Same <laughs> fundamentals apply. Got it. Got it. Love it. Love it. Um, well, thank you so much, Mona, for joining me. I really appreciate just all of your insights and your time and just sharing your story. I think there's incredible information here and I can't wait to just go back and listen to the recording and just learn from you. Um, so thank you again for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much, Rosalind. You're such a warm and wonderful person. <laughs> so you make it very easy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 